You didn't give me a cue when I missed it, did you? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, good evening. I'd like to open the Algonquin Regional uh, School Committee meeting of December 21st, uh, 2022 at 6.36. Um, first on the agenda is public comment. Is there anyone in the public? No public comments at this time. So we'll move to action on minutes. Uh, we have the open meeting minutes of November 16th, 2022. Any comments or action to vote? I make a motion to accept the open meeting minutes of November 16th, 2022. Okay, motion by Chris. Second. Second by Paul. All in favor? Unanimous. Passes. We have action on the executive session minutes of November 16th, 2022. Uh, we need to vote and retain those. Are there any questions? Joan? I just have a motion. Okay. I move that we accept and retain the executive session minutes of November 16th, 2022. Uh, motion by Joan. Second. Second by Paul. All in favor? That uh, passes unanimously. Next is the uh, educational policy. So we have approval of the Algonquin Writing Center overnight field trip to the annual secondary, the annual if it's only second, <laughs> but, um, School Writing Center Association Conference in Washington, D.C. Uh, I guess Principal Bevan or yep. Superintendent Martineau, could you speak so to we'll that? So have uh, Principal Bevan provide an overview of the experience for students and then any answer any questions the committee may have. Sure. So as I understand it, this is a, core, uh, a trip our school has done uh, several times in the past, and um, it allows students who are involved in our Algonquin Writing Center, which is what it kind of the name suggests. It's a, a tutoring, um, a, a tutoring-based center here in our school. There's a little bit more than that. The students participate uh, or enrolled in a class in the day, where they really explore the basics of writing and of providing feedback and of working on their own writing and working on others writing and so they're trained and then they provide this as a tutoring experience this uh conference is in washington dc and not only do our students hope to participate in it three of our students have been asked to present at this conference so our two teachers seth sarnecki and sarah stein are very active in the writing center kind of the small kind of ecosystem of others who do this kind of work and um, and tell me it's a wonderful conference. They've had great experiences in the past and we're hopeful that they can do it again this year. Questions? It's terrific that they've been yeah. asked to present. I mean, that's an honor, yeah. If there are no questions, you need a motion to uh, approve the trip? We approve the uh, annual field trip to the <coughs> Algonquin Writing Center field trip to the Secondary School Writing Center Associated Conference in Washington, D.C., March 16th through 18th, 2023. Seconded. Okay, um, so motion by Paul, seconded by Matthew. All in favor? Actually, I do have one comment. Oh, oh sure. <laughs> I think it was two years ago. My daughter was heavily involved in the Writing Center, and they were scheduled to go to this conference and waiting with bated breath 
and then yeah. it got canceled at the last second, at yeah. the very beginning oh, of COVID. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm happy All right. to vote in favor of it yeah. this time. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So motions to accept. All in favor? Unanimous. Uh, that passes. Thank you. Uh, to new business. Uh, we have a vacancy for Southboro, and we have a uh, interested uh, candidate, John Waisaki. It'd be great if he could uh, come to the microphone, and uh, we can talk about vacancy. Thank you. Welcome to the committee. Um, would you just like to express your interest and in why you're interested in joining the regional committee? Uh, yeah. Thank you. Um, so my name is John Waisaki. I've been a resident of Southboro for about 12 years now. Um, we moved uh, moved here uh, to uh, for the education, uh, and certainly education has been something that's been very important to me and my family for a very, very long time. Um, uh, it's interesting because I, uh, um, I actually uh, simply, uh, um, I was at, uh, my, my daughter is in eighth grade and my son's in sixth grade at, uh, um, at uh, Trottier in, in Southboro and I attended the uh, open house for uh, the high school. And I was sitting there and I was interested in what was going on. I thought it was an excellent presentation. And I thought to myself, geez, I wonder how I could possibly become more, uh, more active. So I ended up texting uh, my friend, uh, Matt Spencer, and I said, if there are any, any opportunities on the you know, uh, school committee, I'd really be interested. And he said, well, actually, matter of fact, <laughs> <laughs> um, there is a, there's a posted opening that's been out there for several months now, and it was, <laughs> if you're interested, please, you know, certainly reach out. So I did, and um, here we are. So that's my story. Perfect, Perfect timing. Um, I'll open it up to the committee for questions. Paul. I have a couple. Uh, the first, the most important one, I think, are you generally available the third Wednesday of each month? <laughs> generally, yes. Do <laughs> you have any thoughts about the high school? I know you probably don't have a ton of experience with it yet, obviously, but uh, any thoughts, pro or con? On uh, I, I, um, I, I came from a very small town and a very small high school, so my thoughts on this high school is it's big. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's very nice. Um, I have the opportunity through my, uh, with my children to go to a lot of other high schools because they do a lot of travel activities and we go to other, other areas. Uh, it, it looks very nice. Um, I, I understand from all of my conversations that the uh, the teachers are, are very committed and everything that I've seen in the sophomore um, situation for, for those teachers, um, very committed and uh, very small class sizes and dedicated and they're really interested in, in children learning and I presume that it's a similar attitude at Algonquin. Yeah. And can you talk a little bit about what you think you might bring to the committee? Well, um, I, uh, I work in IT at uh, State Street Bank and Trust uh, at the uh, investment side. Uh, and so I've been in the corporate America for almost 25 years now. Um, whether or not that's of interest, probably not. But I'm very active uh, personally in youth sports in Southboro. Um, I am on the uh, board for the Algonquin uh, Little League Association as the treasurer. Uh, in addition, I uh, I assist uh, the family on the basketball, um, uh, on the South Pearl basketball, and uh, am very active in all of the sports that we have here. And so hopefully, um, I know that there's an opportunity that or there's an interest in, in perhaps doing something here with our uh, facilities, uh, which is something I'm very interested in. Maybe I can help, you know, lend support there. 
right. Thank you. Thank you. John? Uh, John, I'd like to thank you for putting your name in the hat for this position. And you're coming at a time when we're going to be doing the budgets, which we've already started. I saw that you have, you've done the counting, you've done some bookkeeping for the different ones. So um, for the different organizations that you have done. So we have some subcommittees that we'll be doing. Would you be willing to step forth and go into the baptism of fire of the budget and <laughs> subcommittee meetings and work on that? Certainly. And assist you know the committee and the superintendent and the parent <clears throat> principal with that. Yep, uh, certainly. I was the treasurer for the Holy Cross Club of Boston for uh, five or six years, and that had a budget, um, certainly not of, the, of this nature, but it's probably fifty thousand dollars. And um, the Algonquin. Uh, well, I, I was I was treasurer for the Southboro Little League before it merged. Now I'm the assistant treasurer, but um, yeah, I mean certainly I'm I'm happy to lend my assistance where I possibly can. Great. And thank you for um, all your volunteer work that you've done. I saw that you have, since your daughters have been in school, you've been at Finn School, Woodward, volunteering, and even being on the flex football team here for Algonquin in the football. So you're familiar with everything, even though you don't have any children here. So yep. I think you could step in very well and become a valuable member of our team. So thank you. Yep. yep. I coached on the flex football team for the Algonquin. but. Um, we then decided not to do tackle, but we're coming next year, so. <laughs> Could you just enlighten me, what's flex football? Flex football is one where you don't tackle. Oh. Is it co-ed? It is, uh, it, yeah, I mean, they don't particularly care. There, there was actually, uh, there was one or two girls that played, but it can be. Wow. It's okay. really, there, there, there's no rules. Um, but yeah, you, you, um, you block, and but you have all the similar plays. And if you actually, um, if you do any, if you go out and talk to any professional athletes, it depends on which, who you're talking to, but a lot of the quarterbacks will say that you actually don't need to tackle until you're getting to high school. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Apparently in the pro season, either. <laughs> 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 Sorry, I just had to say that. <laughs> what are you referencing? <laughs> Even if you made the tackle, they still would not going to feel like <laughs> Thank you, John. Good. Any other questions? Thank you. So this is an appointment by the Southboro members, um, so I'd look for them to make a motion. I can do that. Okay. Um, and let me lead with saying, as John mentioned, uh, he reached out to me. Um, John is a good friend of mine, comes with my full endorsement. Um, and so as a member of the school committee representing Southboro, I'd like to make a motion to appoint John Wysocki to join the um, Algonquin School Committee representing Southboro. Second that. Okay, motion by Matt and second by Paul. Um, although it was appointed by uh, Southboro, I think a, a vote of the full committee um, just to show uh, support would be great. So all in favor? And unanimously that passes. So welcome to the committee. Thank you. And I believe now you get to be sworn in. So the, the, the town clerk was just <coughs> roaming around the building. <laughs> Perfect timing. <clears throat> Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to stay. Give you a packet. <laughs> Put you right to work. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so that brings us to uh, number four, the legislative update. So just a quick update on the um, 
letter that we submitted on behalf of the school committee and the district around the out-of-district tuition cost increases that OSD has um, communicated to the district. Um, those increases are 14%. We did submit a letter to our legislative delegation that was co-signed by Sean. Um, we have heard that um, most likely there will not be a lot of movement on that 14% increase. So our advocacy will shift from the OSD to actually asking for an increase in circuit breaker. Um, so we will, we will be drafting some new letters um, in the weeks to come for the committee to review and we'll continue the advocacy on that front. Okay, thank you. Um, next is approval of grants and donations. So, so in oh, your- oh, oh, no, I skipped one. I did it again. Number three. Uh, discussion and potential appointment of assistant treasurer. I'm sorry. Could you speak to that uh, position? Sure. So um, Paul Butka, who, as you all know, served on the regional school committee, um, decided of all things to move away from the community, leaving a vacancy. Um, one of the roles he assumed as a school committee member was to serve as assistant treasurer. Um, we have Christine Tague, who is the, the treasurer for the district. Um, and what we found um, over the years is that it was important to have an assistant treasurer in, in the case that there's a need for the assistant treasurer to step up and um, help us continue moving forward if something happens to the treasurer. So I think the rule is you can't be in this, the person can't be in the same room as the treasurer. It's like, it's like Congress. <laughs> um, the responsibilities really, um, and Becky can speak to the responsibilities, really are uh, being bonded um, and also just if in an emergency, helping assume some of the responsibilities while we create a longer term solution during, during that time if there was an issue with the, the current treasurer. You pretty much summarized it, and I know like I've had conversations with members of the committee about this, but um, really it is acting as a backup to um, Christine Tag. If something were to happen, this person would have the signatory authority on behalf of the district, um, and they would also be able to help us with any of our bank transfers. It's part of the separation of duties that occurs at, at the central office, so the treasurer and the assistant treasurer would be responsible for um, the bank accounts while I oversee the overall budget and do not have access to those accounts. Okay. So I believe we have one person interested. Yeah, so um, <laughs> I did reach, having seen the agenda, I did reach out to uh, to understand what the responsibilities would be. Um, and I, you know, having had a conversation today with Becky and, and understanding it as it was described, um, I'd be more than happy to um, volunteer to take on the assistant treasurer role if it uh, pleases the committee. Um, what I can say to you, if, you, if you're not familiar with my professional background, uh, I'm an accountant. Um, I'm not sure how relevant it is to the role, but I am also <laughs> a, a CPA in Massachusetts. Uh, so I, I think I can, and I do serve, happen to serve as a, a treasurer for this organization that I attend in South Borough as well. So. And so I'm happy to, if there's any questions that you have about it, I'm happy to answer them as well. Thank you. So questions and we need a motion? Yes, okay. Questions or a motion, Paul? 
I would be happy to nominate Matthew Spencer to take on the role of assistant treasurer for Paul made a motion. School District. Second. Second by Joan. Any discussion? All in favor? Do I get, do I get to vote for myself? Yeah. <laughs> Unanimous. So. Okay. <laughs> thank you very much for Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for doing it. Yes, thank you. There's about six hours of work that's backed up. That okay. Now, thank you for keeping me on track. Uh, approval of grants and donations. Sure. So, a good news story. So, Mike Gorman, the uh, facilities director here at Algonquin Regional High School, did write a Maya grant um, that was accepted and approved for the amount of nine thousand six hundred eighty dollars. And basically that software is for um, facilities management and preventative maintenance. We currently have a software tool, but we're looking to actually sunset that tool and upgrade our system. So this provides an opportunity for us to do that. I will also note that it provides an opportunity for Northboro pre-K through eight and Southboro pre-K through eight to use the tool as well. So it has an added value and benefit to our um, pre-K through 12 system and um, communities. He also um, added some ladders in the grant, so we will be getting some additional ladders as a result. So just want to acknowledge Mike Gorman's um, effort writing the grant and um, congratulate him for the successful award of the money, and it will go to a review, <coughs> and we will need a voting approval to accept the grant. So is that like just Algonquin's portion of the grant, or is that the whole It's the total amount. It is okay. Algonquin's um, amount and as a result of the purchasing of the software all th three districts will be able to utilize it so there's no additional funding additional. that the other districts are receiving as a result okay any other questions or comments it's a wide-ranging grant software yes. and ladders okay yes. <laughs> uh, sometimes you need ladders to do the preventative maintenance <laughs> yeah so. yeah um, so a motion to accept the grant in the amount of $9,680. So moved. Uh, by Paul. Motion by Paul. Second. second. Second by Joan. Again, all in favor? And that's unanimous. Yes, that passes. That brings us to the superintendent's report. And I'll turn it over to you, Mr. Martin. Sure. So the first item on the superintendent's report is the principal's report. So I will um, turn it over to Principal Bevan. So um, a little out of the ordinary, we are not starting with some grant or some donation that a bank <laughs> has provided to us via Ben Shanzer. Part of that is because Ben can't be here tonight, and Amelia Sinclair is joining us. You met Amelia last time. She's an alternate. Um, but also, it's because the winter ball uh, went off um, this past weekend and was a big success. So we will return to that as a topic shortly. And I also want to embarrass Ben, who's not here to hear it, but he got into Dartmouth. And uh, we're very proud of him mm, for wow. that wonderful achievement. And we're very happy to see him go on to great success um, at that level. Um, all right. So let's see. Okay. Um, so good, e good evening, everyone. Um, I'm going to start off and share a few kind of broad and good news or, or just newsworthy items. And then I want to talk a little bit about a graduation uh, requirements change that we are exploring here at the high school and to get feedback and talk about a timeline to move forward with that potential change. So um, 
interesting to note this week, um, we had uh, a company called Project Adventure come out and work on a Project Adventure course that is in the tree line back behind the football uh, field. If you know where the, um, you may be aware that where this is, but it's behind the uh, the track. If you're looking at the uh, the flags across the track from the stands, in behind there is this ropes course that our wellness and PE courses use for a whole course and, and team building and um, over the over time the many of those elements were damaged some by a lightning strike some by dug, bug damage and some by trees growing over the different anchoring elements and so it just was the kind of thing that needed to repair and upkeep um, it's also the kind of project that can't be um, changed in very small increments so Keith LaBoy was incredibly helpful um, with um, Brian Mawson who's the department head to bring on board uh, Project Adventure to upgrade the course. And so they just completed that work this week. And they added nine new, t new elements, including seven elements that will allow multiple participants to be on the same kind of element of the course uh, at the same time. So it will be really basically expanding the amount of um, activity time that students have up in those uh, areas. And there's, in fact, one that allows several uh, participants to be belayed and to be working on the, the courses. So it's a real. Um, real fun and um, exciting part of our school program and not one that most schools have. And so now it's been upgraded and we're excited about that. Um, we had the holiday concert last night. Um, so that was a really wonderful affair and it, it featured the concert choir, string orchestra, camarada singers, jazz one, chamber choir, and the full orchestra. And it culminated for anybody, I don't know if anybody was there, but it culminated in all of those groups singing simultaneously with the full orchestra behind them. And then alumni, or in, this is a tradition we have, where alums come out to the show and are invited to come up and to sing along. So in the front row here are some of our students from last year and previous years. So some of whom I recognize because they were my students and some of whom I think even predate them. <laughs> it's a wonderful tradition and was a really great way to head off into the holiday season. And then additionally, so Amelia is going to read a note that uh, Ben sent along because he could not be here tonight. So I've asked Amelia to read that for us. Okay. Can I read it off here? Sure, you can. <laughs> Dear members, on behalf of the Student Council and the entire student body at Algonquin, I would like to express my gratitude for your support for our annual winter ball. Without the donations you approved, the dance would not have been possible, let alone successful. The donations allowed us to keep ticket costs at $50 and provide free tickets to any student who informed their guidance counselor they required assistance. As a result of these efforts, we had nearly 800 students in attendance. It was amazing and only possible with your support. So thank you. Sincerely, Ben Shanzer. So Ben sends his regards and his many thanks. And I think we have a lot to thank Ben for. It was a really wonderful event. 800, 750, 800 students at one dance is a really remarkable yeah. kind of event. I nearly fell out of my chair when I understood this is what we do as our school uh, tradition. And it was really wonderful. Kids behave themselves beautifully. Everybody had a good time. And the DCU Center staff had many nice things to say about our students. It was really a very nice night that um, was memorable for, I think, all of our students att who attended. Really great night. Okay. Um, and then I, um, I want to talk to you about uh, a potential change we uh, have been talking about, I think, as a community for some time, and that I've been examining very closely for the last several months and wanted to bring it to your attention and, and to talk through um, a change that we are considering and also to talk through so, you know, the motivations for that change and why it's an important one to consider. 
So in order to, to understand the change, I want to just give you a, a, an overview of what our graduation requirements are, just to orient you to those. They're not the kind of things that everyone necessarily is aware of um, as kind of a baseline understanding. So um, every student in order to graduate Algon from Algonquin Regional High School has to achieve 110 total credits. And then of course they need to be in a, ver in a sequence and a, and a certain number of credits in different content areas in order to, to um, to be the combination that you need to graduate successfully. And here are how those break down. So each credit, each, um, each full year class is a 5.0 credit course. So English, as is the uh, requirement in Massachusetts, we require four years of fully, four full years of English, um, three years of social studies, including one of those years at least being uh, uh, US history. Mathematics, that's three years, although most of our students take four. Digital literacy, that's a half a year. Science is three years. Applied arts or fine and performing arts, that's a two and a half credit requirement that can be achieved by either of those courses, either uh, course in either of those departments. Economics, which is a course run out of the applied arts department. Health and fitness, which is two years, um, and but really broken out over four years. It's a half year course for four years, um, more likely for most students. And then the remainder is fleshed out by one of our many, many uh, wonderful electives that um, is, I think, probably our school's greatest strengths is the number of electives that we offer in their wide variety. So the, t the two changes I, um, I'm looking to make are to take digital literacy, which is a course that our freshmen take um, as a baseline portion of their freshman year and is a requirement. And also, and to make a change there, that I'll explain in a moment. And then also to break apart, um, we've for a long time had the this credit requirement of two and a half credits in the applied arts or the fine and performing arts. And other than, frankly, the arts, the word arts being in those two, you know, designations, there's not a lot of overlap between them. So I don't know that there's a great deal of logic between why a child could meet the graduation requirements in one or the other. So um, I will talk to you about that as well. So these are the two changes that I, um, I'm here to talk about. I think um, on balance or, or kind of like in the grand scheme of things, these are kind of minor changes and ones we've been talking about for some time. And I do think we might want to use this as an opportunity to continue to talk about the other areas of our program that might be worth considering. But I think this is a good place to start. So what I'm suggesting, and we'll be um, 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 asking for your consideration, is to give students, incoming freshmen, the option of taking digital literacy or an exploring computer science course. They're not identical. They offer different experiences for different students of different interests. But it still keeps the, um, it, it maintains a, a, an element of their freshman year that is oriented around, um, around computing and around digital literacy skills, but it does give them a little bit more uh, agency, a little bit more choice than they've had before. And then I'm suggesting that we reduce out the applied arts um, requirement um, that was an extra two and a half credits. The reason for that second portion about eliminating the applied arts department requirement is two things, and I think I get to it on a f in a future slide here. Other courses in that, in the sequence here, already come out of that department. So digital literacy is an applied arts class, so that's also two and a half credits. 
and economics or personal finance, which can also meet that same credit, is also applied arts. So even before you get to this second red box, we are requiring students to take 5.0 of applied arts. And then we were adding in the ability for students to take that instead of taking a course like photography or band or chorus or something like that. So I think it was somewhat um, uh, redundant and not totally necessary. And for most of our students, they, there's such a wide variety of electives in the applied arts that they may very easily take nutrition and early childhood education and many of the other ones that it's not really necessary to name it. So the reason for the change, and these are really two changes, but they are intertwined and hard to disentangle, are really three things that I'll outline. One is that um, increasing digital literacy skills in, in students and staff that have happened since these, these requirements were introduced, and I don't know how long ago, it was many, many years ago, our students and staff have increased their digital literacy and incorporated that into their teaching and learning routinely in ways that were not common when this was first introduced. Additionally, uh, we are looking increasingly to have our students have more choice and more agency in the kind of courses they take. And then we have an increasing emphasis on, or trying to place an increasing emphasis on the health and balance of the graduates we produce. So I'm going to talk about the first point first. So um, as you may or may not be uh, remembering, part of our strategic plan in the last two years, which was informed by the district plan, has been to for all educators in every department to look closely at um, how they're teaching digital literacy and or computer science in their courses, and if they're not, to find ways to do that. So this is no longer an arena that is solely the area of uh, the applied arts and technology department. If you're an English teacher, you very likely or should be doing some type of digital literacy in your course, uh, in your courses, and we help teachers with training to make sure that that was happening. So this has been a two-year endeavor, um, and it culminated in this past fall with uh, Brian Callan and other members of our IT team and our digital learning team providing for teachers a DLCS toolbox. DLCS uh, stands for Digital Literacy and Computer Science. That's the standards created in 2016 that all educators, regardless of department, should be applying. So really, I think all the educators in our building in the last two years have tackled the digital literacy and computer science. Um, challenge and so that makes having one solo course that's digital literacy not quite as uh, as as necessary and allows us to let kids explore some other options another reason why it's important is that frankly students just have expressed an interest in trying something else and, and wanting to have a little bit more choice in the matter on how their freshman year um, plays out so they, the research is pretty clear that students are more motivated, and I think we all have experienced this in some way. Students are more motivated when they have a choice in the things that they're being asked to do. And students in a new system or a new way of doing this can self-assess and choose uh, a course that better aligns with how they want to proceed forward in, their, in the courses they want to take. And then finally, um, increasingly, and in part of our uh, emphasis in the last few years, and reflected in the portrait of a graduate, is that we want our students to be healthy and balanced. And when I came on board and when I was looking at our graduation requirements, I was seeing a great deal of emphasis placed on a series of courses that were all out of the one department, which is a wonderful department. Our applied arts department is probably the strongest anywhere in central Massachusetts. 
Um, and I actually think that works to their advantage because they don't, we don't need to have them be, have students achieve yet another um, course in there that's reflected in that, that uh, requirement where fine and performing arts and applied arts are, are tied together. Our anticipation is that this change would, would drive a little bit more traffic and get, a little, get students to be uh, trying out some uh, of our visual and performing arts classes that maybe they're, they've not tried. Um, we have also a really fantastic uh, visual arts program. And uh, as, I, as I showed you in our um, winter concert, we have a really wonderful performing arts uh, program as well. And this would incentivize students and frankly require them uh, to, to engage in some courses there. Some very large percentage, I think north of 80 to 85 percent of our students are already doing that anyway. Um, and so that would not mean suddenly, you know, 150 new kids are taking courses that we're not prepared to absorb that, you know, the, them coming our way. But I think this would reflect our commitment to students having a more varied and healthy and balanced experience. Um, I failed to mention earlier, I regret, I apologize, uh, any change to the graduation requirements, as you know, would not take effect and um, impact um, all grades. It would impact the incoming ninth grade and would grow up through um, their four years here. And so, um, again, just referring back, those are the three major areas that we were talking about. And um, just to give you a bit of an overview on the two courses that we talked about, and, and I can give you a kind of a, a, a quick overview of how they're a little bit different from each other. Digital literacy and computer science, we call it. It's uh, digital literacy and computer applications currently. I think we're going to change the name. Um, that's actually the more technical of the two courses. It's a course where students are provided a broad introduction to a variety of technologi technology topics and exposure to various digital literacy concepts and applications. So that's a course where they learn how computers work, but they also learn all the particulars of Google Drive and Google Slides and the whole Google Suite. They also learn Microsoft Office from top to bottom. They have a, the students emerge from that class with a real strong understanding of Microsoft Office that isn't totally typical of most students. Um, and then you can see the other concepts that they explore. Exploring Computer Science is a, a really, a course that would provide for students a strong foundational, conceptual foundational understanding of computer science as a problem-solving endeavor and a field of problem-solving. So a lot of that work is about how computers work, but also how to engage in solving problems, how to use computers to do that. Um, so there is some web design in there. There is some programming in there. But some of it is also to consider how are computers informing um, political movements in the world and how is you know problem-solving part of that conversation. So. Um, this would provide for students who, you know, might be interested in, in I almost said exploring computer science, but that's true. Um, for some, a student who might want to learn and enroll in future computer science courses, this would provide a really deep conceptual foundation of computer science as a field. And um, I could see us potentially, if this change goes through, potentially allowing freshmen to choose one of our other um, introductory computer science courses like C, like um, Python programming or HTML coding, and we have a few that are open to freshmen. The reality is freshmen don't have a lot of room in their schedule to add new classes, so we have to be really deliberate about the courses we choose. Um, do you have any questions? A lot of good information. Yeah, questions. Karen? I don't really have a question. I think it's great. Um, I'm all for it. I think it's 
um, just like you said, it's the applied arts are every, everyone takes them. So you know, especially my kids have taken a lot of those classes, and not necessarily the finer performing arts, which would have been you know nice. Um, and I'm all for the exploring computer science versus the digital literacy. I'm just wondering um, what the department coordinators and the assistant superintendent of teaching and learning, were they involved in this or, yeah? Yes. We've had, um, I mean, Sean has worked together with the department leaders here at the high school. And then in addition, Julie Doyle um, has been involved in conversations with the because she has that vertical view of the digital literacy computer science standards so that we could consider what our students getting in the middle school and how that translates for the vertical alignment. Um, and then I've been involved um, together with Greg and Sean. And so it's been a coordinated, a well-coordinated effort that Sean's been leading. And worth noting, um, we I met with the uh, Student Advisory Council last week to talk through this as a potential change. Amelia was part of that group and they helped me understand you know, how this, they think students might respond to this. I don't know if you have any thoughts, yeah. Amelia? I think the idea of increasing the change is great. I think the school already has a lot of options and I think as like students just really enjoy being able to have more autonomy over their learning and the path that they choose. Thank you. <laughs> Other questions, Paul? Yeah, I, mean, I think it's a good idea too. And you know, I think, as you said, these kids are getting digital literacy almost by osmosis these days. So it's, that's not really too. The only hesitation I might have, and I don't think it's even a hesitation, is is the idea of you know teaching kids about their digital footprint and just how to be what they call it, good citizens online or whatever the term is. But I think we're doing that in the lower grades. Is that right? And just, a, and I don't know that it's on my slide, Paul, I apologize, but uh, about 15% of both courses are common and digital footprint is on both. Um, okay. But, and yes. I'll just add that we literally start that conversation in the, with the very littlest kids. Um, it is our, even starting with our librarians are part of our strategy for how we're teaching the digital literacy and computer science standards. Um, and they have picture books that they're reading to the youngest kids and the conversation continues all the way up through um, about, you know, just did a digital citizenship, digital footprint, um, the risks, safety. Yeah. So we're hitting it in a lot of different places um, through the years. Mm -hmm. and, I w and the other thing I would add is in, in, in our conversations, while I agree with you that the kids are sort of is the water we're swimming in like they're in a digital world um, one of the things we've talked about and, and Sean kind of alluded to is that while that is true and it's easy for us to sort of say like they're digitally literate it's also like the world around us is expecting more and more from people in terms of their digital literacy and their <coughs> computer science and so I think we want to keep assessing what are the skills because as we start younger and younger with infusing you know we were in classrooms where kids are working with robots and coding in the elementary schools we want to keep keep up right and so as they come up through the grades i think we're going to need to keep reassessing mm -hmm. what do those courses include and what can we assume that they've gotten in previous years and in what ways can we continue to raise the bar and the standards and expectations around preparing them for 
having you know the computer science knowledge that goes beyond just kind of um, Microsoft and Google and those things. So. Okay, thank you. Yes. Um, oh, Sean, I have a question. Would it be possible for you to just go back to what our current requirements are? Oh, sure. Thanks. So these are the, the current requirements? They are, yeah. <clears throat> okay, and can you, um, I just want to point out that I am 100% in agreement with the change from the, the digital literacy to adding the uh, computer science component to give that freshman choice. I guess what I would say my concern really here lies in the change to uh, in the applied arts or fine and performing arts, um, the two and a half credits. Can you move to the next slide that has the new change? Uh, and removing the applied arts. And I believe in one of the slides later on, you indicate that they have five mandatory credits in the applied arts, correct? Uh, and well, I, mean, I think they're already taken. Some of the courses that are already on here, digital literacy correct. is an applied arts course, and right. economics is as well. So, so yeah. I guess, right, so yeah. I guess my, my only concern with removing the or applied arts piece is if we're talking about adding more flexibility and mm -hmm. allowing students to take a broader range of classes, I think essentially what we wind up doing is we're now limiting the types of applied arts that students, I mean, they can take whatever applied arts they certainly want. My concern would be, we're removing an option for them to use an applied art instead of a performing art um, because they're, uh, they have to take economics as an applied art right. or they have to take digital literacy as an applied art. Um, so I realize that those are, they're fleshed out as literally individual type courses that are meeting those requirements um, that have to be taken anyway. So I, I almost see this as some choices being removed uh, for, for by students and correct me if I'm wrong in, in terms no, of I think you that. I think you've spotted that that's certainly worth responding to um, the reality and the lived experience <laughs> here in the building is that physically where our finite performing arts portion of the building is and their um, low footprint on student schedule as a mandated uh, mandatory part of their experience means that they don't really get a chance to be seen and experienced by a lot of our freshmen, whereas the freshmen already have one course where they're on that hallway with the applied arts and they're seeing teachers, they're seeing all the projects on the wall, and it really disadvantages our fine and performing arts program from even being competitive in the market of electives. Um, and they are very healthy, the applied arts in their enrollments for nutrition. They are elbow to elbow making, you know, in, in, uh, in our food labs, we have a very strong preschool early education program that fills in very strong numbers. And we're looking at, um, and one, I apologize, I didn't mention this, uh, Mr. Cavino, but we are changing the um, enrollment requirements for early childhood education and allowing freshmen to take that course, whereas we used to not allow that until 10th grade. So that would allow a ninth grader to participate in early childhood education, which is aligned with our preschool. So it, it allows students to um, learn the concepts of early childhood education and then become a preschool teacher. You are correct in, in, in catching that. I didn't mean to, um, um, to not be clear about that, that this does reduce nominally you know, some choice from students because it steers them more towards the fine and performing arts that 80% of our, 80, 85% of our students were finding a way to take at some point. Um, I do think the reality is that the electives in our applied arts 
are so appealing and they're, uh, we're such a business strong community that I think they're just going to keep filling. They'll have 27 and a half other opportunities. They could literally take 27 and a half more credits all in social media marketing and an introduction to business and all those, you know, programs that make our DECA program be the like, you know, the strong program that we all know it to be. But you're, you are correct. I wasn't, I wasn't looking to be correct. I just want to ask clarification. I just want to point that out. Yeah. But no, thank you very much. I, I appreciate the explanation, and it makes it makes absolute sense. So thank I, you. Can I just re just to respond to that? I agree with you. However, uh, but to also put it in perspective, like I'll give a student's perspective who might be interested in like computer science, which is in the applied arts realm. If they're already taking a computer science, they have the opportunity to take it freshman year, then they can also take more of the computer science electives mm -hmm. and still take a fine and performing they arts, could, yeah. which is, I think, cool. You know, now they have that, uh, an opportunity to get some other enrichment and still get a, a lot of their engineering slash business slash applied arts. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, so yeah, I, I see it from a different from that perspective too. If I were to create a pie chart of the departments that offer electives and how many elective sections come out of each department, I'm just going to spitball this one. But I'm going to guess 75% of them are applied arts. I mean, they are just they're just a huge number. And fine performing arts are many, but there's only two and a half P FTE teachers down there. And there's a handful of classes out of English, like journalism, and a few other kind of niche literature and, and writing courses and um, but really applied arts the it's an electives engine it's just it's just a huge electives program and I think it almost is um, not necessary to even name it because they they get so many kids enrolled in those courses I'll just add two thoughts the first is that you know I think that I fully support this change we've had a lot of conversations this has been years of conversations and Principal Bevan is now implementing some of those conversations into action. Also, secondly, we'll need to see what the market creates. Right. Um, implement and then look at the data to see how students are selecting through courses, have conversations with students around what their experiences are, mm -hmm. um, and then come back to the table and talk about did the change have the intended impact or did it not? And if not, then what do we need to do differently? or maybe what we had was the right pathway for most of our kids. May I ask, may I ask a question? Uh, yes, go ahead. Oh, thanks. Um, I presume, perhaps incorrectly, that 110 credits is the min to graduate, correct? That is correct, yeah. And what's the average credits that are actually uh, uh, people are getting? Several more than that, yeah. It's so very unusual. My, my point of observation okay. is while we're no longer mandating the uh, applied arts mm -hmm. to that, the right. or category, people still have the opportunity oh, yeah. to get plenty of, uh, if they choose to. So, I think and they, they're aware, yes, totally fine to me. it's a very astute observation, and our students are aware that colleges don't want to see an empty schedule or schedule with lots of gaps and holes in it, because they want to see students challenging themselves. And the reality is students legitimately enjoy taking a course like social media marketing, because it's actually a really fun experience, or a class like, um, you know, you name it, uh, wood technology or, or video production or you name it. There's so many really terrific and wonderful instructors down there. So I think, yeah, you've, you've hit the nail on the head. It's very unusual that a student um, struggles to re -graduation, reach graduation because of total credits. It's more often 
the classes that they struggled in. If you struggle in a singular English class in the whole four years you're at school, that means you've got to double up before you exit. And that's where the real pain points come for students who have a hard time. Um, a couple of things. Applied arts, like, I don't, uh, it's a very strong program. And I, if I remember correctly, there's like a minor kids mm -hmm. can get, I mean, which is pretty impressive correct, if they yeah. take a certain number of credits. So um, um, that's just, it's, it's a nice bonus and that's created. Um, the also, Algonquin business concentration, it's like a three course pathway where yeah. they get a, like a, a yeah. Um, and then I think this helps the find we have such strong and you know Kathleen would be talking about it if she were here but it's a <laughs> strong performing arts program but for every you know part of the portrait of the graduate and the strategic plan is to have well-rounded students and then this gives a little bit more opportunity to um, or um, chance to to experience all that so I think that's important um, I guess one question I do have, like, is that one department and now we'll have two departments but two different department chairs or did it already function? It already is two, two but, departments. But it was under entirely. one kind of title. In our, so, only in our handbook and under yeah. this section, okay. yeah. Maybe I was thinking budget, so. Okay. <laughs> um, I just have okay. one more comment. Yep. And um, so just for, for the rest of the committee too, and, and I'm sure Stephanie is aware that I mean, part of the DLCS standards are that schools um, in the future and, and now you're, you're requiring computer science as a graduation requirement, which is leaps and bounds a lot of, uh, above a lot of school districts and that's coming down the pipe for mm -hmm. the state. So we're already ahead of them by doing this, which I think is, is good. Um, the other thing too, just again, food for thought for like later down the road, but you, they also can require, um, can substitute that as a math uh, credit too. Not, I'm just saying you could, maybe a, 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 because it's so heavily tied with math too. So down the road. And also, what are your thoughts for requiring four years of math? Any thoughts? So, um, as you might be aware, the mass core is a framework for that Desi has produced after looking at what um, industry professionals and colleges shared back to them were uh, the share the most common experiences of students who were successful at those next levels, and they produced this kind of framework uh, called mass core. And in that, I think I haven't looked at it in a little bit four years of math is a requirement to achieve mass core. We're deficient in a few other areas that this wouldn't suddenly switch us into that, but exploring computer science or any computer science would allow to allow us to, to achieve halfway to math on this. The reality, I think, is that most of our students, because most of our students are four-year college bound, uh, and they, the colleges want to see four years of math, our students are, are doing that yeah. as a baseline, kind of as a a typical, most typical expectation anyway. Yeah. Um, so it's not, un, it's, it's certainly some, something we're aware of that I think we're looking at other places to improve our, or increase our rigor and the requirements we have. That would probably be a place we would look at and it wouldn't have huge detrimental effects because again, most of our kids right. are already doing it. Right. it. It's almost reflecting what our kids are doing rather than driving what they should be doing. Yeah. Food for thought. Yeah. Sorry, that's like probably a longer answer than you were looking for, but. Um. Any other questions or comments? 
Thank you. That's very comprehensive. I mean, that's a it's yeah. a lot of information for us to digest and um, I think well laid out. Could I just ask next steps? Sure. Um, I can take direction from the the uh, school committee uh, just to give you a sense of the timeline at the high school. In order for us to produce a program of studies, um, this would not slow that down. However, in order for students to begin making their course selections, we would have to alert them to this as a requirement for incoming ninth graders. And we are educating our um, incoming ninth grade parents on that exact topic in early February. Um, so, you know, I think knowing how the committee would like to proceed on this, uh, I think in the next month would probably be certainly helpful. Um, I don't think an answer tonight is certainly necessary. It's the first time you're ever hearing about it, about it and you might want to hear from your families and constituents about this. Um, but uh, the work back is really early February. I guess the only the comment I would make is I think that, like you said, you know, the graduation requirements really are driving what we want our students to do. So I do think that, you know, these requirements um, really do represent and reflect our community's uh, values, what we want our graduates to be. So I would certainly be in favor of adding this to the agenda for a vote in January. Yeah. I was going to recommend that we, yeah, um, have this as an agenda item for action in January, especially since Kathy and Kathleen aren't here, and Kathleen, <laughs> three members aren't here to be a part of the discussion and, and vote. Could, could I just make a recommendation? Because mm -hmm. this, unless I'm mistaken, wasn't in the materials. Should we kind of recommend that maybe a memo be sent out to the other members with the deck? Of course, I can do that. Yeah, and I am sorry I did not explain this, but I presented this information to the school council to get feedback, and that kind of shaped my presentation tonight, as well to the student council, and I'll be presenting it to the APTO. Um, so just kind of the more eyes on it and the more feedback I can gather will let me know if there's you know areas I need to think more about but certainly getting these materials out to you is very very easy to do I can do that through Greg good point yeah thank you okay any other topics um, nope I, that's everything <coughs> all right so next in terms of the superintendent's report um, is the enrollment report as of November 15th. So as of November 15th, we had one more student than we had in October, so 1,217 students. And as you all know, uh, enrollment <coughs> tends to remain very steady at this, this time of the school year. Also in your packet is the uh, annual requirement of auditing our other post-employment <coughs> benefits. Um, so we did receive the audit report, and Becky Pellegrino will provide a summary. Uh, yes, so as a result of establishing it's the OPEB trust account, which stands for Other Post-Employment Benefits, um, the district is required to have an annual valuation done, um, actuarial valuation completed. Um, so the report that is in your packet is for fiscal year 2022. Um, and as you will note, that our liability went from $46,633,686 as of June 30th, 2021, to $37,265,832 as of June 30, 2022. So the $11 million um, decrease is really due to higher rates on municipal bonds. 
um, as it was explained to me by Parker Elmore, who is um, our actuarial for Odyssey Advisors. Um, because our balance in our account is so low, really it's there's one factor that's driving our liability balance, and that is the municipal bond. Um, bond index. Um, so specifically the 20-year muni bond index increased from 2.18% to 4.09% over the course of this year, of that fiscal year. And so it really did impact their calculation in terms of what our actual liability would be. So anytime there are higher rates in the municipal bond, we're going to see a lower liability. And then conversely, if the feds do decide to um, decrease the rates, we will see a higher um, liability. So overall, he did report to me, it is, a, it is good news. The reduction is good news. Um, but it really doesn't mean much um, in the in the grand scheme of things because it really does not have um, you know a lot uh, to do with the real cost of the plan. Um, and so I welcome any questions on this audit. Any questions, Paul? <coughs> the last thing you said it doesn't mean much. Is it basically because the rates could change again? And the rates could yeah. change again. And actually, if you look on page 12 of the report, it shows how just a 1% increase can really impact our um, account by $6.7 million. So it, because of the small balance, we're really, um, I think, more susceptible to some wide swings in our valuation right now. Yeah, it's, a, it's just a, a present value concept. So. Your interest rates are lower, the current value of your liability is higher. Just because you, you can't get a return on that to pay for what your liabilities are. And so your cash flows are going to remain unchanged because you have actual pension participants that are going to get their pension payments as they need them. Mm -hmm. Just to put the value of those today. Yep. Trying to think what Paul Butker would ask right now. Any company that has pension liabilities, this is what you're seeing is the, the actuarial assumptions are driving pension liabilities down because interest rates are up. And in our case, it's more so um, our retirees' health insurance. Um, and so because this is to actually fund the future value of any health insurance costs for our retirees. So I think the bigger conversation that the committee um, needs to entertain is the investment in this OPEP trust and how are we going to make consistent annual investments into this trust to close the gap of this unfunded liability. Yeah. I think over the past three years we've, we've made some initial investments in the mm -hmm. FY22 budget. There is a nominal $25,000 investment into this trust which is, is not enough but it's, it's a start and I think it's part of a larger conversation it, and continued funding of it also affects like our our bond rating or things like that so I mean it it's one of those things that's always in the future and may or may not come true but yeah but it affects us now like if we're trying to it does. Money it's a, it's like a liability unfunded liability and um, the, the bond council will look at our commitment to meeting that liability and funding that liability consistently over time. Just the fact that the committee established a, a trust um, was a step in the right direction. And the information that we received, just the fact that we're making a deposit into that trust on an annual basis 
again, even if it's a nominal amount, is a step in the right direction, which impacts our bond rating favorably. Freedom, if you're not knowing, but so the payment into the trust is that a budget item for the year? So like, if you want to actually pay, you'd have to increase your budget item Correct. to fund the trust. Correct. There are a lot of places that don't have it, in, and I think we created a, a policy, if I get that right, mm -hmm. to to make it an item every year. A lot of places just kind of put it off and maybe look at their E&D and kind of decide annually where we made a commitment to to it, and then we can go above it um, at any time. And how and that, so is this one of the things we can pay for out of E&D? So as long, what we would want to do is make sure that we have the line in our budget each year, and then at the end of the year, if we have funds that we are going to be putting in E&D, we could instead make a payment into okay. the OPEP trust. So do we have, we have a line? We in have the, a line. Okay. Yes, we yeah. have okay. um, 25000 this yeah, year. Yeah, that's what I, okay. So the conversation that, that Becky and I have had is we, are, we will make that payment at the end of, um, in June. Mm -hmm. um, and we have a better sense of what our fiscal year 23 budget is. Um, but it is part of the budget conversation moving forward in FY24 of how much do we want it to include in that line item and how much can the budget support in um, this upcoming fiscal year. Which we're moving in that direction down the yes. agenda. Yes. Okay. So next in your packet is the FY23 monthly general fund expenditure report. And um, while I'm, oh, do I don't know. Do we have to vote for that? This is more of a valuation report versus like a formal audit. We have those every three years. So I think this is just a report to the committee on the status. I think it never hurts to vote anything that's financial. Um, but. I don't think it's necessary. Um, so the FY23 monthly general fund expenditure report, um, and Becky will also review the FY23 statement of revenue and review the approval of FY23 grants. Yes. <laughs> um, the monthly general fund report that's in your packet is as of November 30th, 2022. Um, at that point in time, we had um, just over a million dollars. We had um, 1,068,000 or 4.15% remaining on the bottom line. Um, last year's report, we had 4.15% remaining on the bottom line and just over 1 million, it was 1,036,000. So as you can see, we are trending exceptionally close to where we were last year at this point. Um, we continue to watch our heating and our electricity costs as those are the ones that are really um, we're seeing some fluctuation in. But otherwise, I really have no concerns to report on the FY23, what year are we in? 23, fiscal year. <laughs> Questions on the expenditure? I make a motion to accept the monthly general fund expenditure report until audited. Audited. Chris makes the motion. Second. Second by Paul. All in favor to accept that. Uh, unanimous pass. Thank you. Okay. And can I just make a note on page six of the um, report? You'll, you will see um, the OPEB trust um, line item. So. Thank you. In terms of the. Since you pointed out, it must be the line item and the current. 
dollars in the current year. Like, so the, the actual benefits that people are receiving during that year. So there's line items for, um, there is retiree health insurance, there's, li there's a line item for our employees' health insurance. Um, so those, there are line items for those. So like, just, I, would you agree that if you got to a point where that the OPEB was fully funded, then your current year line item for the retirees would be zero, and then you actually because we, so could, it's just we could really yes mm -hmm. yeah. yeah we could draw off of that account okay. mm -hmm. with the forty six million or thirty seven million though it may be a while before we get there. <laughs> True. <Yes. laughs> True. However, it's all about the participants and sure. life expectancy. People yeah. will fall. Unfortunately, yeah. people will fall off. Mm -hmm. New people yeah. will come in. And if you have a steady run rate of annual costs, that could be, yes, it's an unfunded liability because you have to pay it throughout someone's duration of life. However, the reality is this is the way it sure. works. So you can, mm -hmm. it's just shifting dollars. Yes. You can make a bigger budget now. Yeah. And we are looking at different ways as well where we may be able to bring down that liability in terms of looking at some of our retirees' um, health insurance um, offerings um, and, and making some adjustments there to the good for the employee. Statement of revenue. Okay. Um, so during the month of November, um, we did receive the town of uh, Northborough's December 1st assessment, and that was their second quarterly payment in fiscal year 23. Um, you will note that our athletic receipts continue to trend according to our um, projections. Um, we have also received the first quarterly payments for the circuit breaker tuition and transportation. I think I did um, tell the committee last month that they had finally approved um, those figures for FY23. So we were glad to see those first quarterly payments come in. Questions about the revenue? A motion? I'm old. We approve the statement of revenue as of November 30th, 2022, until audited. Thank you, Paul. Second. Chris, all in favor? Motion passes unanimously. Um, and approval of grants. Okay, and so lastly, um, in your packet is an accounting of all of the federal grants that the district has received in FY23. Um, these federal entitlement grants are Titles 1, 2A, three and four, as well as the IDEA special education grant. Um, these five grants total $434,631. And at this time, I would ask the committee to vote to approve these um, beneficial grants. Um, uh, each of them really do add a lot to the programming here at Algonquin um, and help us to continue some of the work that's being done in, um, in the classrooms. Questions about those grants? Is the Title I grant holding steady? Or I'm kind of surprised we're still getting some. Uh, it's been pretty steady. We, it went down a little bit, mm -hmm. um, but it's it's been pretty steady. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Can I just have a question? Mm -hmm. Can you uh, give just a brief like overview of how the Title I funds are used at the high school? Sure. And uh, yeah, I'm happy to share about any of these. Um, Right now, um, one of the, so we've often had tutoring that has been particularly for students who are at risk of not passing um, different parts of the MCAS. 
And so we've continued that as needed. But one of the primary strategies we've used the last couple of years is we have focused on math. And we have a tutor who is here three days a week and works um, is available for students and particular students are being assigned to work with her and it's provided content expertise for students who sometimes were getting extra support but from people who didn't have math expertise yep. and so she is primarily available outside of the classroom for extra support <coughs> and might be assigned to a focused study period and then going to her to get extra support um, I think she is sometimes doing a little bit of push-in support into classes as well when that option is there. So our primary strategy right now is around math support with some MCAS tutoring. Thank you. Thanks. Sure. Any other questions? A motion to accept. We'll do accept grants as listed in the packet in the total amount of $434,631. $434, Thank you. Paul with the motion and Matt with the second. All in favor? Uh, uh, passes. Unanimous. Okay, great. So next in your packet is the FY24 budget priorities, um, which were approved at the November meeting. Um, and just note that on the first page under bullet number five, the addition was seek capital funding from the towns of Northboro and Southboro to fund the Algonquin Regional High School Athletic Complex project. <clears throat> also in your packet is the budget calendar for FY24. It is hard to believe it is December 21st and this evening is a major milestone in terms of the budget process and that is presenting the preliminary budget to the committee. I'd also note that on January 28th the Southboro um, Board of Selectmen is hosting departments to present their budgets. So um, the pre-K through 8 Southboro and the regional budget will be presented at that time is Saturday. And I believe it is at 8 o'clock. We just learned of that today. So we will um, send out a communication. In the morning? In the morning. Oh. <laughs> on a Saturday. Great. So. Projector. Um, I just had one question on the budget priorities because that will be going to the different uh, financial boards in the towns. Um, could we make an edit and, and put John's name into it? Of course. And what was that date again? January 28th. What time? 8 o'clock, 8 to 10. Okay, thank you. And then next. Um, is the presentation of the FY24 preliminary uh, budget. The capital. capital. Yes, yeah, so that I skipped over the capital plan. I, I, so, I did it myself so, earlier. So. I'm in the packet as the FY24, uh, FY28 capital plan, which was again voted last month. And I'll, I would just highlight again the accomplishment of crossing off one of those capital projects, um, which Principal Bevan indicated is, is that project adventure course repair and design which has been on um, the capital plan for at least four or five years. So job well done, committee. Have this Thank you. <laughs> All right, just give me a minute to connect. Well, while you're connecting, uh, 
need to go backwards, but I was just looking back at the budget priorities. And maybe John is happy to be on it, but I'm just what you were expressing was the edit that we requested back in November, and then it was approved in November. It is I was just noting the change that we approved, the committee approved in November, and it's reflected officially on this this document. All right. So can we add John to it if it was already approved? We can. All right, so, um, so this evening I'm um, pleased to present the FY24 preliminary budget. And I will make a note that it is very early in terms of the budget process. Um, we need much more uh, financial data and information from a variety of sources. Um, but the presentation that I'm presenting tonight is the best known information that we have. Uh, moving, and moving forward, we will fine tune this budget. So I think it's really important to talk about um, what we are about as an educational organization. We are a, a mission and vision driven organization. Um, our mission is simple. Um, it's educate, inspire, and challenge all students. And our vision really centers on what type of graduate we want leaving Algonquin Regional High School. So our challenge is to make sure that our graduates are collaborative <coughs> and creative thinkers communicators, socially and civically engaged, growth-oriented, healthy, and balanced. And part of the work that we do is really driven around the strategic plan, Vision 2026, and the school improvement plan um, the high school created. So in terms of the budget process, I, I just will note that the budget process starts early in the year, in September. Um, Becky mentioned that she wasn't sure what fiscal year she was in. Um, there are, are times when she's exiting a fiscal year, entering a, phys um, a, a, a fiscal year, and starting a new. So there's all sorts of, but right now, um, we are in fiscal year 24 and preparing for that budget. Um, I think some key milestones is the work that the principal, principal Bevan and his team does around um, working with department chairs and educators thinking about what types of requests and what types of um, asks that will be included in the budget. Those were due to the financial team at the end of October. And Becky and the financial team um, organized those asks and requests from uh, Principal Bevan and uh, department chairs and directors and created a preliminary budget, which we'll be presenting this evening. I think in terms of milestones after December is really um, getting better data from the state. Um, we should learn about the governor's budget uh, a little bit later this year. Um, typically it is released at the end of January. However, because we have a transition in governor, um, we are anticipating that we will not receive uh, the budget information until um, March. Um, so a lot of the information that we will be providing over the next several months will be our best projections based on historical data. And then just lastly, we're working toward the March and April town meetings in both communities and making sure we have strong support from the boards and committees and um, the citizens of each community. So as we look at fiscal year 24, we always think about what are the unknowns and budget variables. So we have a number of unknowns at this point in time. As you know, we are 
um, in a negotiation year with our um, collective bargaining units. Um, so one unknown at this point in time is what the financial impact will be of those negotiations. Um, we have a tentative agreement around the language uh, with uh, Algonquin Regional Teachers Association, and we are working on negotiating um, the financial pieces in the next month ahead, but at this point it is unknown. Um, we discussed the out-of-district special education um, tuition increase, which was 14 percent. Um, so how that will play out and impact the overall budget once advocate, advocacy is completed uh, is unknown, but right now we're assuming that there's a 14 percent increase, but we're hopeful that that will not be the final um, number and that will be decreased significantly. Um, special education transportation, um, we are seeing increased costs in special education transportation. At this point, we have our best projections, but again, that number will become more clear in the months ahead. We are seeing um, an increased um, cost in energy um, that is factored in this budget, um, and we are monitoring current energy costs very closely so we can have a good projection moving forward for next year. And then just unknown is the impact of inflation um, on the power of a dollar. So we are seeing the impact of inflation on the cost of supplies and materials and cost of services. And the power, purchasing power of our dollar is being impacted by those inflationary um, headwinds. We are hopeful that inflation will continue in a downward trend in the months ahead. Um, but again, it is an unknown at this point in time. And lastly, insurance rates. So the regional um, school district is no different than a, a town as an entity. So we, the district is responsible for insurance rates and um, we are uh, working closely with our, with our healthcare um, consultant on trying to identify what those uh, rate increases will look like. And at this point in time, we do not have that data. Um, and we have a projection built into the current budget that I'm presenting. So again, the approved budget priorities. So again, we are a goal-oriented organization. I think that if you speak to school committees around the state, um, not all school committees have budget priorities that help drive the budget process. So this is very helpful in terms of the work that we do as a team to make difficult decisions if um, it becomes a difficult budget season. Um, and we We'll use these to um, prioritize what we ask for and also help guide um, the requests that, we, that we'll make uh, to the committee. So um, where are we today? So um, as I mentioned, at the end of October, budgets were due to the finance team. Um, and those requests totaled um, $25,727,081, and that was without reducing or uh, removing any of the requests from principals. Um, I'm sorry, that FY23 budget was $25,727,081. The initial budget requests from principals and directors totaled a little more than $28 million, um, which represented an 8.97% increase over fiscal year 23. Um, the target range that we are um, looking at is 3 to 4.5% increase. Um, 
from the 8.9%, we did apply circuit breaker um, of $873,465. So the preliminary budget currently is at a 5.57% increase, um, which reflects a $1,433,465 increase over fiscal year 23. To give you a benchmark of where we were at this point last year, um, you can see that we are about a percent in, uh, more um, than we were last year at this time. Um, so we are actually in a pretty good fiscal position as we're entering into the preliminary budget um, with the assumptions that we made in terms of um, the budget variables at this time. So in terms of w when we think about budget increases, so this is just a, a, a table that shows what a 1% increase to the fiscal year 23 uh, budget looks like. Um, so when we think about a budget increase of 1%, it's uh, about a $250,000 uh, increase. Um, so that just gives us kind of a, a benchmark when we're thinking about what a 3%, 4%, and 5% uh, increase looks like over fiscal year 23. gives us kind of a guidepost. So budget drivers in the fiscal year 24 budget. Um, so student and staff devices. So um, again, we have a need to upgrade and replace our student and staff devices. Um, specifically student devices that will allow for um, students to take MCAS. Um, so this is part of that plan that we have. We're also seeing um, an increase in Worcester Regional Retirement System. Um, so we're seeing an increase of 93,000. Um, out of special education out of district transportation, we're seeing an increase of a little over $93,000. Um, Utilities, electricity, and heating, um, we are anticipating a little under $130,000 increase over fiscal year 23. And then insurances, so health, liability, workers' comp, is a little over $330,000. And lastly, salary increases in COLAs, um, total a little under $725,000. So the budget drivers that we're experiencing um, total a little bit over 6% um, um, and equal $1,453,593. So in terms of budget offsets at this point in time, so the two budget offsets that we have are FY23 circuit breaker tuition reimbursement of a little over $850,000 and then FY23 circuit breaker transportation reimbursement of a little, little under $20,000. And I'll just note that the Student Opportunity Act um, included circuit breaker transportation reimbursement that is new, but as you can see, we are not seeing a windfall in terms of uh, state aid as a result of the Student Opp Opportunity Act, um, which is disappointing. We were anticipating that we'd receive more funds in that area to offset the overall costs of transporting uh, special education students out of district. So one of the exercises the leadership team at the high school um, engaged in was thinking about what type of staffing requests um, they would like to see in the fiscal year 24 budget. Um, so these are the positions that were requested, internship and externship coordinator, 
library, ESP, <coughs> reading tutor, a human resource generalist. So this is a shared position between Southboro Pre-K through eight and Northboro Pre-K through eight. The point three is the regionals portion of that position. Team chairperson, and then a point two uh, adaptive physical education teacher, and then varsity assistant coaches. These positions at this point in time are not included in the preliminary budget that I am uh, presenting to you this evening. And it represents an increase of 3.46 um, FTEs um, and would add a, about a percent increase to the preliminary budget that you are um, being presented with this evening. <coughs> in terms of instructional materials and supports, so what is included in the budget are um, a variety of instructional materials that were requested from department chairs. Um, as you know, the high school has a five-year um, replacement cycle for textbooks and curriculum materials. Um, we did fall off um, following that replacement cycle. This gets us back on track in terms of meeting what the plan was. And also, we do have the student and staff devices um, that we mentioned earlier in terms of making sure we keep our devices current. So instructional materials and supports that are included in the preliminary budget total a little over $140,000. And can I point out one other thing? Sure. The fine arts transportation is also included in that, and that was part of Amy's presentation last month as well. So. Thank you. So in terms of um, enrollment comparison and projection, so one of the areas where we monitor very closely is our, our enrollments um, for each community, North Brown, South Pro and overall enrollment at Algonquin Regional High School. So as you can see um, from enrollment projections through FY22 through FY27, we were um, experiencing a decline in enrollment in, in prior years. Um, in fiscal year 24, moving forward, we're going to be experiencing a slight increase in enrollment, um, but for the most part, enrollment is, I would say for the most part, a plateauing with a slight increase over time. This actually is um, good news. I think it helps us um, create a budget that actually supports um, a, a consistent enrollment. <coughs> One of the areas that we hear a lot from the community is because your enrollment is declining, why aren't we seeing the budget decrease by that enrollment amount? Um, and I would just uh, speak to the fact that the committee has done an excellent job um, looking at class sizes um, making sure that we are meeting the student needs and using the opportunity for declining enrollment to actually create um, class sizes that are within the school committee's class size policy. Um, and also I would just add that in a time as we're exiting the pandemic, having smaller class sizes really provides educators an opportunity to make strong connections with their students. Um, and this, is, this has been a great opportunity for us. So I would characterize the FY24 preliminary budget, um, a level services budget with growth in targeted areas. Um, so it is level, staff, uh, level staffing, level servicing in terms of the student experience. At this point in time, the preliminary budget is $27,160,546. Um, which reflects a 5.57 increase over fiscal year 23. 
just a note on inflation rates. So if we look at the look back of the past uh, decade of inflation rates, um, as we are all experiencing, inflation is having an impact on our overall um, budgets, our personal budgets, and our business budgets, and our educational budgets. Um, so when we think of the current, um, the preliminary budget increase still is below the inflationary impact that we are experiencing. I'd also like to point out that um, the fiscal year 24 actually com completely eliminates the student activity fees. So the school committee um, in fiscal year 23 budget set a two-year goal of removing student activity fees, although it was $50. The first year was redu reducing by $25, and year two was removing. So um, there will no longer be a student activity fee beginning in FY24. Um, which is a step in the right direction to begin to think about how to um, not rely on fees to um, subsidize the overall operational budget. And then um, lastly, um, we'll just speak to um, the athletic complex bond and project um, and some information that we'd like to share that is connected to the overall um, budget in terms of the um, debt assessment that we are um, thinking about moving forward to each of the communities. But before we go into this portion of the presentation, I'll stop and answer any questions about the fiscal year 24 uh, operational budget presented at this point in time. Questions? Karen? I, can go. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, I have a question about, so for example, when you talk about class sizes and the potential program studies graduation requirement, like what if you had all these kids who wanted to take freshman year computer science? How, I'm sure you maybe have looked at that, but how would that impact those classes? So we looked at students' second tier choices last year, the ones they couldn't get into because there was no room and, we, and it's clear really about to absorb you know where they're going to end up easily. Um, I think more likely they'll. Some of them will go to find a performing arts where we have capacity. So there wouldn't be a need to like add a teacher. No, or no. And do I noticed that you had a, a thing for a team chairperson? And do we not have a team chairperson at the high school right now? So we have um, 1.5 school psychologists, and part of the responsibility is serving as a portion of that time as a team chairperson, um, but it's not equivalent to a full-time team chair. Okay. Thank you. Other questions? I just have one. Yes. Um, as a variable, you had mentioned an increase in energy cost. I was just curious, historically, how has the usage of the school solar panels played a role in offsetting some of those costs? It's a great question. We have benefited from having um, the solar array on Algonquin's roof. Um, we are seeing a significant decrease in the kilowatt usage. Mm -hmm. However, the cost of energy has um, increased, so we're not seeing any savings. Um, Becky, do you want to speak to the analysis that you've done? Sure. So uh, while the kilowatts have gone down, unfortunately, our electricity contract um, for our, our 
um, supply rate um, expired in October. So it means now that we are paying more for the kilowatts that we're not able to generate through the solar array. And obviously at this time of year, the amount that we're drawing off of the solar panels is um, decreasing. Um, so we do see the ability for our, our um, electricity bills to go down over the summer months and when it's a little bit you know, more sunny out. But right now, um, we are seeing an increase in those costs. And unfortunately, our rate almost doubled um, in terms of what we are paying um, per unit. Um, and this is a um, cooperative um, group that we participate in um, through the Mass Municipal Association. And we work with the town of Northborough. And unfortunately, um, you know, communities across the state are seeing these rates as well. Mm -hmm. So one way to look at it is without the solar array on mm -hmm. at Algonquin, our energy costs would be about a $30,000 increase from what we, we are experiencing in the projections. And I will say also that um, Mr. Gorman, the facilities manager, has done a great job, too, at trying to look at some of the programs that are being offered through National Grid and through other vendors in terms of um, putting some light fixtures in that are more energy efficient. And so um, we're continuing to look at those projects to try to continue to reduce that usage as well. Other questions? Out of curiosity, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Out of curiosity, do this solar array, is it maximized? I'd have to get back to you on that. I guess my point or observation is why not put more out? Yeah, so I think so we have more capacity. Um, so this was a proof of concept. Um, and actually, we have a solar. Um, actually an energy study group looking at ways we can um, become more efficient. Um, we can expand, um, and that is part of the work that we'll be um, discussing and thinking about moving forward. Right. I think you were part of that group, right? I'm on that subcommittee. Uh, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Question, Paul? Uh, yeah. <clears throat> All the positions you mentioned, that uh, you said they were not part of this budget, is that right? Correct. <clears throat> is there any thought about prioritizing them, including some of them? Yeah, so um, we did have a budget meeting yesterday, I believe, and, and some of the work that we will be doing is prioritizing these positions. I think there's a general consensus that uh, one of the um, top priorities is really looking at the internship and externship coordinator position <coughs> um, to really help get that moving and really provide the, the attention in, um, that work needs. Yep. Or maybe it doesn't have to be full-time. But yeah, that's kind of the one I was thinking of, too. Okay. I just asked about the, the student and staff devices. I mean, um, comparatively to some of the other increases, it's not um, as large. But are, are, is that, I think we've, we purchased quite a bit probably during the pandemic. Is there, is, is that charge going to be there each year? Is that like how much it is for, or are we on a tiered like implementation cycle? Like freshmen get a new device, and or I don't, I don't know. So currently, we we are not a one-to-one -one right. district issued um, device program. It's a bring your own device. Mm -hmm. um, this actually allows us to implement year one. So the incoming freshman class, we will be providing a device and we are moving toward a 
one-to-one district-issued device um, program for a variety of reasons. Um, one being it's been very challenging managing students bringing in their devices. There's <coughs> a continuum of mm-hmm. the types of devices, and this will help us um, kind of streamline that process and actually give the technology department um, a more systematic effort in terms of the devices they are supporting. Okay. So, uh, so like next year, will that be a similar budget item? Then, like we can expect this year, year after year. Then correct. Okay. Yeah. I have a question. Will students still have the option to bring in a device, or will it be mandated that they use a school one? So, it will be for freshmen. They will be mm-hmm. um, issued d- devices from the district. So they won't have the choice to bring one in if they want. Okay. It's kind of an equity issue, also. Making sure everyone has, yeah, yeah. Other questions? All right. So, just um, the next item on the agenda is the athletic um, complex project update. So, we did include a couple slides to um, share where we are with the athletic complex. Um, last evening, we um, Keith Lavoy, Becky. Um, <coughs> Paul Desmond, David Roman, and I did meet with the select board in South Grove, the advisory and the capital committees. And we did present the project to the boards and committees and answered questions. Um, During that presentation, we presented some information that was basically caught off the press in terms of the financial aspects of the project. Um, So this evening, I've asked Becky to provide the committee with an update of some of the information we've learned. Um, so you have that information as well as a committee. Um, so we, I've been working with David Eisenthal at Unibank, who's our financial advisor, um, and he was able to Uh, put together a few scenarios for us um, just to look at and also to share with the two communities so that we might be able to um, show the the tax impact um, of this project on both communities as well as look at some um, different financing scenarios that may be more favorable for the two um, for the two towns so when he was preparing these um, scenarios for us he did make um, a few assumptions um, in his preparation and one is that the project does begin this summer and it ends in the fall of 2023 Um, he does anticipate that is it it, there there is a 15-year maximum maturity on the bond and he is confirming that with our bond council as well Um, that it is a level debt service repayment Um, and we have the scenario that we've put together is that the district would issue bond anticipation notes in July of 2023 and would then reissue them in July of 2024 and 2025 which would mean that we would be paying interest only for the first two years and that would be in FY 25 and 26 Um, And then we would issue a general obligation bond in July of 2026. Um, Since we would be um, issuing the bands for the the first um, two to three years, 
our required principal payment on that bond anticipation note in FY27 would then need to be, and this is a mouthful, equal to the first um, year principal payment for a 13-year level debt service amortization um, to kind of make up for the fact that we were only paying interest um, in those years. And then he also did um, assume an interest rate of 3.5% for both the bond anticipation notes and the general obligation bond. So this next scenario would show what the, um, what the project um, would mean for the town of Northborough specifically. Um, and he did include in the column that Greg's pointing to um, the outstanding de debt service um, that is still remaining on the um, addition and renovation here at the high school that took place back in 2004. You can see that that debt will be falling off the books in um, fiscal year 2027. Um, the athletic complex, that there would be no assessment to the towns until fiscal year 2025. And in those first two years, it would be an interest-only payment. And then in fiscal year 2027, that's when we would make that um, larger payment um, to, uh, to start the general obligation bond. And then we would um, have a more consistent payment over the remaining years of the bond. Um, so for uh, Northborough, we did make some assumptions in terms of enrollments, but you can really see that the tax rate implications for both of the projects for the first five years range from 17 cents to 31 cents. That's the high year of FY27. And then afterwards, it really does stabilize where it's about a 12% impact um, to the tax rate. And the average household um, would see a range of a low of $67 um, impact to $176. Um, and then Southborough, um, using that same calculation, um, again, that FY27 year is really the highest year because you would be having um, the full payments on both of those projects for one year. Um, so the tax rate impact would be um, 26 cents. Um, per thousand or um, $212.74 for the average household. Um, and then it would stabilize after FY27, um, where it would be about an $81 um, per year impact to the average household's taxes. So this was one of the scenarios that we present, or this was the scenario that we presented last night. Um, and I have received some feedback that this is a the type of model that at least one of our communities would like to see just um, because it does fit in nicely with their um, their current capital plan and their debt service. So, can I just clarify that? So, <clears throat> and this assumes we have no money from CPC, correct? Correct. This is fully funding the project through a, a bond offering. Other questions? I appreciate those charts. I mean, that makes it really transparent mm -hmm. for anyone who's wondering. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, those are really helpful. Okay. No other questions? So, no. Where, so, where are we? Where are we at this point? What are we? Yeah, so I think that the Athletic uh, Complex Project Committee is continuing its work. Um, we still have to meet with the boards and committees in Northboro. Um, 
I think the next step for the committee is at the January, the earliest, and February at the latest. Um, this, the school committee needs to make a decision around whether it's going to uh, approve this project. So um, we'll, at that point in time, Gale Associates will have the 100% uh, cost estimates. And then at that point in time, the school committee will, will take a, vo a vote to move forward with the project and issue um, debt. Um, and then that will trigger conversations with both communities. That will trigger it being on the, um, the warrant article and the town, <coughs> the town will have to vote, taxpayers will have to vote whether they approve the project or not, mm -hmm. uh, approve the assessment. Um, but it's really up to the committee um, to vote uh, and to approve the project moving forward and then getting support at the town meetings from each of the communities. And that does require the committee to have a two-thirds uh, vote for this to move forward as a committee. So we have two action items for January? Correct. Okay. Well, at least two. Yeah. Can we expect to have the 100% figure in January? Yes, I did ask Kathy Herval from Gale Associates this morning, and she said that they are very close and that uh, she anticipates that we'll have it uh, beginning in January, so yes. Will the subcommittee report out then? Yes, so, so at the January meeting, we can have um, the subcommittee pr present a more formal presentation of where we are. Uh, what we're voting, what the committee is potentially voting on, and what the next steps are. Okay, thank you. And maybe this is um, presumptuous to ask, but so assuming it gets out of this committee and then goes into town warrant, and for whatever particular reason, either both towns reject, one town rejects, does the project just die then, or? Not necessarily. We'll have to work with. The, te the, te the community, if it passes in one and not the other, the community where it doesn't pass, we'll have to have conversations around next steps. Um, but there are some options that we will we'll have as a committee to try to continue to move this project forward. A lot of unknowns. Like another, you know, potentially another town meeting, at, for example. So you'd be okay, yeah. Until it gets approved. <laughs> <laughs> the last thing I'll just end on in terms of the regional budget. So um, at this point in time, it is very early in the process that there are so many unknowns in terms of the state budget, which really impacts our regional budget. Um, so state education aid, regional transportation, circuit breaker, um, the apportionment and assessments are all unknown at this time. Um, and I predict that it will be challenging in terms of we won't have that information until March um, because, again, the, budgeters, the governor's budget is not due until um, the beginning of March. March 1st. Um, so it could. Super late. Um, the, good, the good news is we have some pretty good historical cost estimates that we've used that have been fairly accurate. Um, but it is, it is a, a variable in this budget process this year that is unique. And as in past years, I'm sure you're, I mean, just to make people aware, you're in constant contact with the town managers yep. and trying to fit this into the, their expectations too. Correct. 
And I will say that DESE and Mars have also um, provided trainings as well um, for looking at both the Chapter 70 and the um, minimum local contribution calculation. Um, they've provided some spreadsheets for us, and we are doing that work to try to come up with a, a good estimate. Um, although we did this exercise a few years ago um, with Mars and bring up quite what they ended up being, but we're hopeful that from doing these exercises internally, we'll have a better sense of what Chapter 70 will look like. Thanks. Any other questions before we go to old business? Old business. So the Coalition for Equity did hold a meeting on December 8th. Um, a significant topic of discussion was really around um, the school calendar. We are forming a, a Coalition for Equity working group um, to continue those conversations around um, religious observances, uh, continuity of the school year and school days, um, and the Coalition will be meeting early in January just to begin those conversations in preparation for a presentation to the combined uh, committees. Um, for uh, <coughs> oh, potentially on the 23-24 um, calendar. Which would be like in, is March our yep. next? Policy is May is the <coughs> latest. You have to have a, a, a calendar voted by May. So yep. I think, again, it's been past practice to try to get the calendar voted December, January, so that parents can look at the calendar and make some decisions. Um, but I, I, I think that this year it's going to be most likely March. Okay. Great. Any questions? Yeah. yeah, did that include um, representatives of the various religious communities? It does. So we, ha we have expanded the working group. So um, we have uh, reached out to religious leaders and they'll be joining the conversation. So that's in January? Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Was there anything with appointments or? Uh, no. Okay. Um, so next is to move into executive session um, to discuss strategy with respect to collective bargaining with the Algonquin Regional Teachers Association. Um, and due to the, my determination that the discussion regarding this matter in open meeting may have detrimental effect on the position of the committee with no intent to return to open meeting. So we need a motion to so move. And then that has to, uh, so Paul moved it and I need a second. Second. Matt, um, I always get confused. We need to individually vote to go to executive well, yep. session. <coughs> okay. Yes. Before you do that, do you want to? Make an opportunity for a public comment. Yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah. Is that, okay. Before we do that, anyone in the public? Very good. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Um, um, so we have a, a motion and a second. So it's an individual vote. So Karen? Yes. Matt? Yes. Paul? Yes. Joan? Yes. Chris? Yes. Myself? Yes. <coughs> and um, John? Thank you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So we will go to the session without any intent to reconvene in open session.